ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Hi there, I'm Kendra Adachi, and I host the Lazy Genius Podcast, a show that helps you be a genius about the things that matter and lazy about the things that don't. But here's the kicker. You get to decide what matters, not me. I'm not here to tell you what to do. I'm here to give you a new way to see. Episodes are around 20 minutes and are full of practical, helpful information, as well as a lot of permission slips to do what makes sense for you. New episodes drop every Monday and cover a broad range of topics from laundry and getting dinner on the table to finding work-life balance and organizing your inbox. So I invite you to give the Lazy Genius Podcast a listen. Together, let's stop doing it all for the sake of doing what matters. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com. He's got a podcast, old spice and miles and miles of pubic lice. STG, fridge, freeze, he's a proper naughty geese. Chatting bollocks, shit stains, moist stains and airy touch. And Jimmy Savile track suits from a mush and shepherd's bush. Bush, 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 bush. He'll make you laugh, he'll make you wee. He'll shag your mum for no money. A maphrodite hat on the door. Don't cry, it's only a joke, you silly mush. <laughs> Don't stress, beat the beat. Moisture is on eat. Don't stress, beat the beat. Say, take a seat. Airy feet, not much air. Massive tits. Beat the beat. Beat the beat. Airy feet. You're listening to Chatting Bollocks of Daniel O'Reilly. What a plonker he really is. Hi, hey, too many, too many, many gush. Your man's back, dapper laughs, a.k.a. slonging in the wrong and a.k.a. proper naughty geezer, a.k.a. fridge freezer, lemon squeezer, Ebenezer, doozer, pleaser, mozzacot, visa, hachu, sneezer, leaning tower, appeaser, proper naughty geezer, but most of all, a lady pleaser. So if you are... <laughs> Oh, I'm in a good mood today. So if you are listening to this on your own, don't be flicking the bean or ripping the end off it until after the show. I want you to pay attention. If you're listening to this with your missus, uh, have a look at your missus now. Just look at her, gaze into her eyes. And if you're, if you're with your fella, look into your fella's eyes. And, uh, you know, just remember, this could end up as foreplay. I'll get you going. I'll get both of you going, mainly the missus, to make sure she's sat on something waterproof. Don't you worry about that, because I will not be responsible for any ruined furniture. <laughs> or bedding. Or vaginas. So, listen, here we are. It's... um. It's me, it's Dan, and um, this one is all about how I got into comedy, my journey into comedy, and I have had a roller coaster of a uh, professional career. I mean, I only started getting known or, or heard of from around 2014, so only about five five or six years ago, uh, I broke through onto say social media and then uh, and then onto TV. But that's the that's the shit you already know. I can't be fucked to talk about that. That's boring. What's funny is um, is how I started in comedy. Uh, what made me want to get into comedy. 
and everything. So where should I start? Let's go all the way back, all the way back. Well, originally, when I was about five, six years old, my mum told me that when I was about five, six years old, I said to her that I wanted to be an actor. I want to be on TV. We used to watch films. And I was actually that young that uh, I still said I wanted to be on TV. So I always wanted to be in entertainment. But originally, it started uh, from me wanting to be uh, an actor. As I got a little bit older, um, I discovered... Um, different ways of entertaining and then I fell in love uh, with comedy but where should we begin let's go all the way back all the way back so yeah man I can remember the my first sort of taste of entertainment or being an entertainer I come from a massive Irish family right so my dad uh, had 14 brothers and sisters rest his soul um, all Irish the madness 14 brothers and sisters and um, I used to do jokes about them because what we what we used to do is picture the scene right it's Christmas it's a beautiful time of year okay uh, and everyone's waiting to get their Christmas presents and at Christmas we all used to go over to my um Oh, shit. Text message. It's your mum. Uh, please get a penis reduction. I can't keep going through this. Sorry about that. Picture the scene. It's Christmas. What we used to do now, I, I, I had 14 uncles and aunties just on my dad's side, right? And uh, none of them had TVs, right? So they all used to fuck like rabbits, right? Um, so I had something like 145,000 cousins. There was fucking millions of us. Now, what everyone used to do um, back when my grandma was still around, she had this little bungalow. It was like a three-bedroom bungalow in Tolworth. And every Christmas Eve... It used to be tradition that my dad would take us and all the other uncles and aunties would take everyone over to my grandma's house. There'd be fucking thousands of us. A big Christmas tree. Everyone's drinking, laughing and joking. Um, the uncles and aunties would be playing cards. I can't remember what they used to play. Is it rummy or something like that? They'd have thousands and thousands of one piece and two piece and they'd be gambling. My grandma used to make scones, which were amazing. Uh, and me and my cousin, all my cousins and everyone like that all used to get together. And then all the, all the presents used to go under the Christmas tree, right? So there was fucking thousands of presents under the christmas tree and it was the best it was like fuck there's millions of presents now one i think because uh that my family was so tight they they wanted free of charge entertainment but two because it was just hilarious we what they used to do is they used to get everyone to come and sit down and then they'd say right before you can have your pre- presents everybody has to perform so somebody has to uh you know, somebody has to perform, and then once you've performed, you can get your present. So it's like a fucking, it was like a talent show. It was like a fucking Jeremy Cole version of fucking uh, X Factor or Britain's Got Talent, right? It was funny because, you know, every year you'd have the same thing, like the girls, all the girls would get together and be Spice Girls, and we had like one real fat cousin, and she just used to be on the end and end up run out, running out crying and that because she didn't know the moves and couldn't sing. Um, then my cousin, me and my cousin actually one year, we both, I'd done saxophone, then my cousin Jamie copied me the next year and he'd done saxophone because he used to look up to me like I was a fucking legend, still does. Um, and some people would sing and other people would do poetry. Yeah, one of my other cousins, well, gay, he used to do poetry. Thou art so beautiful, my heart may desire me and my other cousins just be like shut up you fucking knob um, and then yeah so that's where the performing all come from and I can remember uh, one year I was like yeah man I'm going to do jokes so because um, my dad was always doing jokes like, my comedy definitely comes from my old man because my dad used to be able to at dinner parties and whenever there was a party my dad always sat there and he'd always be like right give me a subject and I'll give you a joke that was his trick and you'd be like monkeys and he'd be like okay okay two monkeys getting into a bath one of them goes and the other one goes we'll put some cold water in it um, you know and everyone would go oh my god that's crazy do one on fucking 
paedophiles and they'd be like, what's the main cause of paedophilia? Sexy babies. Ah! And everyone would fucking laugh, right? So it was good. It was really good. Do one, do one on your mum. Do one on, do one on mum. Oh yeah, my wife, yeah. Used to work as a sniffer dog down fucking Heathrow Airport. Anyway, yeah, but <laughs> he was crazy. So I always used to think, oh, mate, he was the life and soul of a party. I used to think to myself, wicked, man. That's what I want to do. So I can remember one year I was like, uh, when it come to um, my grandma and granddad's Christmas Eve special um, and everyone was doing it, I was like, right, I'm going to do Tommy Cooper jokes. So I, lost, well, I was only fucking young, about nine or ten. I was still a fucking legend. I, do you know what I mean? Hung like a bad boy even back then. That's weird. I don't know why. I don't know why I said that. Yeah, so I'd done uh, Tommy Cooper jokes. I, I, I read a lot of Tommy Cooper books and uh, and watched uh, programs and made a little set together and uh, maybe I was a bit older maybe I was about 10 or 11 maybe and um, and I'd done them and, and all I mean I was doing like you know mother-in-law jokes and stuff like that I was a little kid but anyway my Irish family was all full of comedians and they loved the joke so they absolutely loved it and I can remember then thinking to myself wow that's cool man everyone's laughing at me I felt like my dad what my dad used to do so I was like that's what I wanted to do. And um, from then, I can remember I always, every time I heard like a, a, a funny joke that my dad would say or someone else in the family would say, I always wrote them down. And uh, I've, I've always done it. I've got, if you come into my man cave now, um, one, it stinks of spunk. I'm joking. If you come into my man cave now, there's a little pile of books where I've got where I've been writing jokes. And I've been writing jokes uh, that I've heard for about fucking 20 years. I'm not even joking. So yeah, I've got, uh, I still got my dad's old jokes, you know. Whenever I'd hear my dad tell a joke, I remember I always used to write it down. I used to have a book and I'd write them down and I've still got loads of them here, man. It's quite uh, nostalgic to look through them. But here's some of the jokes my old man used to say. I was looking for directions uh, the other day when I was in Ireland and I, I, I pulled over. Well, he used to do it in an Irish accent. He used to put his Irish accent back on because he was a bit cockney by the time uh, I was born. Uh, I was I was driving along in Ireland and uh, I, I was a little bit lost. So I was looking for directions and I saw a man in uniform and I pulled over to him and I said, excuse me, are you a police officer? He said, no, I'm an undercover detective. He said, well, why are you wearing a uniform then? He said, well, it's me day off. <laughs> And I used to love the Irish ones like this. He was like, could you tell me the quickest way to tell him more? He said, well, are you walking or you're driving? He said, I'm driving. He said, well, that's the quickest way. <laughs> he said, how far is it? He said, it's about 10 miles. But in a car like that, you could do it in five. <laughs> it's a really old Irish joke. Uh, he said, anyway, I need to get there. He said, uh, you're on the right road, but you're facing the wrong way. He said, well, what shall I do? He said, well, if I was you, I wouldn't start from here at all. Yeah, there's loads of them that he used to do. One of my uncles died from sex and drugs, you know. He couldn't get any, so he shot himself. One of your uncles, he had a heart attack at the worst possible time during a game of charades. Do you get it? Because it's charades. And Anyway, your other uncle died. He was put in a prison ship, and he tried to tunnel out and drowned. I used to love them. I used to write them all down. Look, even though they're shit, I used to write them all down and think to myself, one day that will come in handy. It's part of me old man's memories. Did you hear about the Irish evil Knievel? He done everything the wrong way around. Ever since he was a boy, he ran away from the circus to join an orphanage. <laughs> On his last jump, he attempted to jump 35 motorcycles in a bus. <laughs> he would have made it, but somebody rang the bell halfway through. <laughs> I went to the doctor's the other day and I said, what's good for insomnia? He said, a good night's sleep. <laughs> he checked me out and he said, I'm not sure what's wrong with you. I'll put it down to a drink. He said, okay, I'll come back when I'm sober. <laughs> so yeah, man. So, you know, 
know, that was the sort of shit jokes that my dad used to do, but used to go down well. Proper dad jokes um, used to go down well at family do's and stuff like that. So that's where it all sort of started from me, man. And then as we got a little bit older, we'd go, we'd always, we, were, we weren't a rich family. So <laughs> not saying that it's not um, a good place to go, but every year the whole family would go to a potlin. Uh, every year the whole families would go to like punting. Fuck off, shit cunt. I can't say it. Pontins. So every year we'd go to Pontins or Butlins, do you know what I mean? And then we'd watch um, all the live entertainment at um, Butlins and, and Pontins and all that stuff. And uh, one, it used to make me want to be on stage because uh, I used to watch the acts, the red coats and everything like that, doing game shows and comedy and that. And two, um, we used to do talent shows there. And um, uh, looking back on some of the shit my family used to make us to do was a little bit noncy, actually. I can remember one time we were at Chippendales, me and my cousin Jamie, and they put us in stockings and actually put socks down on the front of our pants. And we were only about fucking 10 or 11 or something. So that was fucking a bit dodge. Uh, and there was all the old people going, yeah, yeah, they're the winners, man. Let's vote for them. Looking back on it, it was a load of nonsense going, fucking, yeah. Um Anyway, sexy kid, what can I what can I say? Um, so, yeah, that was good. I remember I used to do Dirty Dancing with my sister. Not actual Dirty Dancing, but one of my favourite films, maybe my favourite film, is Dirty Dancing. I know that's bad, but again, that's because they were entertainers, dancers, and they were on stage, and it's just something that, that um, when I first watched Dirty Dancing, I wanted to be that guy. And um, to me and my sister used to do the dance at the end. We knew all the choreography, and we used to try and do it. Uh, I mean, set the scene. Imagine you've got the audience, there's people sitting you can hear people having drinks you know you're backstage you're only young you're only young you're only about 11 or 12 you know your heart's beating you can hear the compare ladies and gentlemen first up in the talent show here at Butlins in 1985 Daniel and Gemma it'd be like me and my sister always every year we used to do uh, dirty dancing not actually like we didn't fucking finger each other but like it was like We've done the dirty dancing routine. So, you know, the music would start, start, and and, and it would be playing, we'd be like, and we'd know all the moves, and we'd done it, and looking back on it, I mean, when we was actually doing it, having an audience there, you know, people cheering and stuff like that, at the end, when you do the big lift, we'd do it, and there'd be a big cheer. You're like, fucking hell, man. We did it. We were only kids, but now when I see the pictures, all she did was like jump, and I just like put my arms around her waist, and she, like I didn't even lift her up. It was like we were cuddling, just basically cuddling, but we thought we'd done the big lift. But obviously, you know what parents and older people were, like pissed up at buttons. They're like, yeah, yeah, because it's cute. So um, when I saw the pictures when I was a bit older, I thought, fucking hell, I thought I lifted her up like above my head, and there was fucking water dripping off her, and fucking people were screaming, and it was like, you're going to be a star. But no, we're just a bunch of little divvy kids fucking about. But I had the bug. That gave me the bug for performing. Do you know what I mean? So those were good times. And then as I got a little bit older, you never lose that, I don't think. And um, I was dyslexic as well. So school was next for me, obviously. When I went to school, I was I was very dyslexic. My mum and dad broke up uh, when I was younger. And uh, around the time I started school, there was all this drama with my dad showing up to the school because my mum didn't want didn't want her to see us didn't want him to see us and there was all this drama so school was a bit of a crazy time and it was a bit of an unruly time for us at home we had a really bad mum and dad had a really bad sort of breakup so there was a lot of shit going on and I think that I was rebelling a little bit or whatever but as soon as we started school I started fucking about like a right dick right and I was just naughty I was just a naughty kid like proper naughty um 
and I'd be naughty and then I'd be cheeky and funny and I worked out that when you're just being naughty, people think you're a prick, right? But when you're doing naughty, funny stuff, like, um, uh, you know, waiting, getting into the classroom early when there's only a couple of kids in there and stapling the teacher's fucking register which i used to do all the time staple like it hot i had a high powered fucking stapler that i'd fucking i remember i nicked it from um what's it called dt or whatever it's called where you fucking go and build shit it's like an industrial stapler and i fucking robbed it from the science labs or somewhere it was in my bag and whenever i could i'd get in before the teacher would come in before they called the register do the four corners to the fucking register down so that when they picked it up it fucking ripped and I'll go everyone be like Way! and the teacher would be like for god's sake who's done this who's done this and um yeah man people if anyone grasps they get chinned in it afterwards but um I used to like fucking about in class as well you know I used to make spitballs big spitball things where you'd you'd get a paper chew it right up till it was wet and then when the teacher would wait till the teacher would write something on the board and bash launch it straight at the back of the head and there'd always be some dickhead in class that would go oh my god some of us are trying to learn some of us want to learn okay so can you just stop doing it <laughs> I didn't come to school for this <laughs> we got a test at the weekend I'd be like fuck off I want you to get your head kicked in so um School was fun, you know. I'd done loads of shit. I can remember, um, you know, just making jokes because there were some people that didn't want to learn. And the pe- I was with the people that didn't want to learn. And I wanted to entertain the people that did not want to learn because I couldn't learn shit, man. I was terrible at English because I was dyslexic. I was bad at maths because I just didn't pay attention. And, um, yeah, so I can remember one time I got sent out of class and I come back in and I got a massive, I mean, this is the sort of cunt I was. I got a massive, <laughs> massive, uh, like locker and I pushed the locker in front of the door so they couldn't open the door. But before I'd wedged it shut, I'd got a fire extinguisher and just popped the hose through the door and then wedged it shut and took the pin out. And I got some fucking like high industrial strength fucking sellotape, pushed it down. So the fucking foam just started blasting into the fucking, into the, the classroom, sellotape the thing shut and legged it, filled the fucking classroom up full of foam. They were stuck in there. That was one of my finest moments, man. I mean, obviously they knew it was me because I'd just been thrown out of the class and I got suspended for a week. But you know what? That one went down in fucking history. The teacher got covered in the shit because the teacher come running into the door and was like, oh my God, oh my God, what's going on? There isn't a fire, so why is this going around? And trying to open the door and shake it. But as she's trying to do it, obviously the hose is right there at the door. But asking her with this white thing, she looked like she'd just come out of a fucking bukkake party. You know what I'm saying? And I've been to a few. Uh, that shit don't get out of your fucking beard for weeks uh wait um so yeah anyway so wicked <laughs> fucking i was a gun when i i can remember one time i broke into one of my teacher's cars right and we had a fucking canal near our gaff um near our school right and i, I broke into one of the well i didn't break into the teacher's car i was going through it to see if i could get the tech tax disc because you used to be able to sell the tax disc right and uh and also just checking if she had any change in there or fags or anything like that do you know what i mean just you know i needed shit man we were poor and i took the handbrake off pushed it down the road and pushed it into the canal that was a bit that was a bit much that i mean that's when my mum sort of went you're a bit of a cunt you know you've gone from cracking jokes in class to um submerging um your english teacher's car in the canal um we have to pay for the for the forklift truck with a big fucking grabber thing to pull it out of the the thing and the te- poor teacher ain't got a car well it's got a car but it's fucking soaked it's down there rattling around next to the fucking old trolleys and that at the bottom of the canal mate geezer though went down in fucking history 
naughty fella. So yeah, man. And then uh, when I left school, I um, I got I managed to get a few GCSEs. So I got a few GCSEs. I got um, I got two Bs. I think I got a B in drama, and I got a B in uh, fucking RE. Um, Jesus and that went to a Catholic school when I was younger, so I know all about it now. But that shit was easy, wasn't it? Just fucking yeah, fucking whatever. Um, and two C's. Can't remember what I think. I've got a C in science and a C in something else. But two B's, two C's, the rest D's. So four A to C's. Get to me in college, you shitty mothers. Minge straight into performing arts. So I done performing arts at college, which I fucking loved. One loads of fit birds in performing arts, dancers, and that. If you've anyone that's ever worked in the theatre, and that's one thing that I loved about performing arts was um, musical theatre. So as soon as we got in, I can remember my first show I ever done was. Um, What's it called? It's got the Kit Kat Club in it. Oh, fucking hell. Uh, it goes, Welcome and bienvenue. Welcome. Uh, cabaret. First one was, first play I've ever done was called Cabaret. And I was the uh, master of ceremonies. And my mum always says to me, I can't believe it. So he was such a naughty boy when he was younger. And uh, when he went to performing arts, he became all expressive. And the first show I ever went to watch, she always tells this story. It does my head in. The first show I ever went to watch, you know, we went in and the lights come up and there was this voice going, Welcome and bienvenue. Welcome. And then the lights come up on the fucking piano and there was a man sat in fishnet tights on the piano singing and I looked again and it was Stan I was like oh my god maybe he's not sniffing cocaine and kicking fuck out people no more he's gonna be a star so she was happy and um yeah man that was wicked that was wicked there uh you know it, it, it was just all uh drama singing dancing and acting I couldn't sing for shit but um the dancing obviously man's got Michael Jackson moves you done read a bit and um and yeah, the acting, I loved it. I loved everything. I love learning scripts. And um, that's why I'm buzzing this year. Um, they've just started putting the promos out. And I'll tell you guys a, a lot more about this soon. But I'm doing my first ever West End play this year. So I'm excited about that. But not as much fun as it was getting pissed. Because we always used to go to the Hand and Spear. It was in Weybridge. I went to Brooklyn's College. And in Weybridge, um, in between the train station and the college, which was a fucker because you had to walk past it on the way home, there was a pub called the Hand and Spear. Um we used to call it the Randy Queer because <laughs> you could get sucked off in there if you wanted by a geezer. Um, I heard. But no, anyway, and uh, they used to have pine, pound a pint night and we used to call it pound a fight night because we all used to go down there, pound a pint and kick fuck out of each other. Um, I can remember I got bottled once singing uh, karaoke. So a uh, proper good place to go and fucking have a smash up. Um, and that's where... Um, I spent my college days getting stoned at college and drinking at the pub and doing acting. And that's where my love, my love for performing really, really grew. And then when I left, my mum, my mum, this is where it all sort of went a bit crazy for me. My mum decided that she wanted to move to Cornwall, right? Uh, so my mum moved down to Cornwall and I was about... 17 I think 16 or 17 I just finished school and I just started college and my mum was like we're going to Cornwall okay we can make money on the house we're going to buy something we're going to do it up because my mum we lived in council accommodation when we were younger council estates and stuff like that and then my mum bought a council house and she sold it bought another house sold it bought another house sold it and she had about 300 grand in the bank and uh, well in the equity of the house and she was like wanting to go down and buy a massive hotel that she'd seen in Cornwall and change it into a house into a big house great dream and she'd done it um 
But uh, I didn't want to go because I was going to be famous. I just started doing auditions. And I, I, I can remember I'd auditioned for Grange Hill. This is how far away long ago it was. You guys probably won't remember Grange Hill. Um, but I auditioned for Grange Hill. Um, what, how did the old theme tune go? Let me see if I can get the theme tune up. The theme tune was like... Yeah, that's it. Yeah, yeah. And um, <laughs> um, I auditioned for Hollyoaks. Yep, even though I was down south, I went all the way up north, tried to do the northern accent wherever it's from, and auditioned for Hollyoaks. That's how long ago it was when it first started. And I auditioned for EastEnders. My audition for EastEnders is a funny story, man. I can remember um, I went in, uh, I can't remember the part to play. I think it was Alfie Moon or Alfie, whoever Shane Ritchie is, his son, I think. Um, and yeah, I was doing the acting and uh, done the audition. And when I come out of the audition, um, they said, thank you very much. But uh, we won't, you know, we won't be calling you back for a second audition. And I was like, why? Like, I thought that I was gonna, just going to get the audition. As soon as I started audition, I thought I was going to get on TV. And it didn't work like that. In fact, I didn't get any of my auditions. Um, apart from one at college uh, for an independent film that come in. I'll tell you about that in a minute. But yeah, and I said, why? And they said, well, because you're just overacting. You you overact too much. You you know, you're like, you're crazy. Because I think I was meant to walk in the room and just go, Dad, do you want a cup of tea? And I was like, Dad, do you want a cup of tea? Because it was like an audition. I thought I wanted to stand out in the audition. But acting's actually about not standing out, about just blending in and being natural. So, it was, so I should have been like, Dad, do you want a cup of tea? But I wasn't. I was like, Dad! Do you want a cup of tea? And I was expecting that at the end, because I've seen EastEnders and all the most dramatic bits happened at the end. So what I thought, you know, so I said to the woman, she said, well, it was a bit dramatic. You were like, Dad, do you want a cup of tea? And it was meant to be normal. And I said, well, what I was going for, what I was going for was the end of a scene. You know, at the end. Oh, 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 if you go back and look at my audition tape and then add the... <laughs> And I'd done the whole song in front of her And she was like just shaking her head I said but if you add that to it Look watch it now Dad Do you want a cup of tea? I've done it again And she was like yeah but no that, that That's not what we wanted We we just wanted you to ask for a cup of tea and to see how naturally you could act in a normal situation instead of one of the, the dramatic ones. And I was like, well, that's shit, in it? Whatever, I don't even want to park and walked out. I didn't say that last bit. I said, okay, thank you, uh, thank you, but, you know. But as I was walking out, she said, but do you know what you should try? You should try comedy. I swear, that was the first time I ever got the inkling that someone um, like me could be funny because she she was I said what do you mean she said because that whole thing you explaining you know going to do, 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 and doing all that shit that was hilarious that was great where did you come up with that and I was like that that's actually what I was fucking doing that's what I was going for in the but yeah I'll go for it and I can remember coming out and saying to my mum because I was only young so my mum had taken me to the audition I didn't get it but she said I should try comedy and my mum was like that fucking bitch <laughs> What does she fucking know? She's just jealous. She probably wants to be on screen anyway, so she doesn't want to give anyone a fucking part of the bet. That's what my mum was like, proper. And I was like, all right, cool. So we went away from it. And then I can remember when I was at at college, I was getting into it and that. Uh, my mum moved to Cornwall. Um, I decided to stay, so I had to get a job, right? Because I, I moved out and started renting. I've been renting or living on my own since I was 16. It's no word of a lie. And uh, I rented a little uh, spot. Um, down in West Byfleet and I can remember that's when I started shagging proper 
You know what I mean? I don't want to go. This is all about my comedy life, but I'm going to say a couple of little things. When you're that young, you've got your own gaff, right? And you're walking around, going into pubs, nicking pints you shouldn't be having, all the girls and that. Fuck me, mate. You're a geezer. Everyone want to come back to mine for a little party? Yeah? <laughs> then you're back at the party. Anyone want to stay over? How about you, sweetheart? <laughs> then in the morning. How about a hand job? <laughs> you said nail it, mate. Anyway, that's I digress. And Shelly, if you're listening, that's only a joke. But yeah, I did. I used to bang loads of birds, mate. That's where I started getting my numbers up. Honestly, so when I was at college, right? When I was at college, I used to have this thing where I was like banging so many birds and that, yeah? That I'd, I had nicknames. So when I hit, I think I hit about 300 to, uh, in the second year of college. I'd done like 300. And they started calling me the Sparta. So they was like, fucking, when I walk in the room, they go, Sparta! I go, fucking, you know it, lads! And then I think just after college, a little bit later on in my life, I think I was about 19 or 20, I hit, I hit, uh, I hit 500. So they used to call me Footsie, like Footsie 500. Go on, it's Footsie! Hey, hey! You know that! And after that, mate, they just fucking couldn't believe it, so they didn't call me nothing. They just called me legend. From, from, from a thousand up, it just goes from jokes to just straight legend. Straight legend. Barebacked. And all, all of them fucking mental, mate, when you look back on it and think what, what could have happened. But... Um, Anyway, I digress again. Uh, so, yeah, so college, I moved out. I got a job in a go-kart track. I was working in a go-kart track in Brooklyn, and uh, I was still auditioning. I can remember my dad, bless him. Um, my dad was like, listen, I, I, I love the fact that you're in a go-kart track. It's great, but what's our dream? That's what he always used to call it. What's our dream? I'm going to open a beer when I, whenever I start talking about my dad. Ah, it's a little screw-top bud. Hold on. Yeah. Mm. Always have a beer when I talk about me old man. Talking, I'm talking about him four or five times a day. <laughs> that was shit. Um, yeah. So listen. So uh, where was I? Where was I? Let me let me recap. Go cock. My dad always used to say to me, "Yeah, um, what's our dream? Come on, what are you doing? What's our dream? Well, our dream is, Dad, that I'm gonna I'm gonna get into comedy and I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna be uh, a comedian. But at the moment, I got to earn money." Um, but come on, man! You got to do. You got. You got to get on stage. You got to follow your dreams. So I can remember I was working at a go kart track. Then I started working at an estate agent's, and I one up here called Man and Co. Um, which is mad, actually, because I'll tell you something else. The guy that employed me at Man and Co was a little negotiator. His name's Les. I think it's Les Morales uh, from Woking. He now owns Foundations. So if you're ever passing, go and check them out. But. Um, Les and Kerry, they they uh, they gave me a job as a negotiator. So I was doing uh, lettings and sales. Actually, I done sales as well. Later on in life, I own my own estate agency. That's another that's another little story. But um, and um, yeah, and listen to this. I rang uh, the estate agents to come and value my house the other day to see how my house is looking. Do you know what I mean? After I spent all my fucking dough on it, and guess who comes and knocks on the door? Fucking Les Morales, mate. My old boss from when I was fucking 18. Knocked on my front door and he's like, fucking hello, Dan, you're doing all right for yourself, aren't you? I was like, yeah, you fucking know that, mate. I swear you fired me at some point. I can't remember. But um, he was like, yeah, man, to think you was always shit at selling houses, but you was funny. And I was like, yeah. But um, so it's a beautiful thing. I worked there for a little bit. And then um, again, my dad was like, what's our dream, man? Come on, what's, the dr- what's, what's happening to our dream? Um, and my mum was always very, very, very much the same. Uh, don't work for money. Um, chase your dreams. You know, my mum was always like, take risks. My mum, my mum's like a crazy, crazy woman, but she was always like, take risks, go and chase your dreams. And then my dad's like, what's, what's happening to our dream? Um, so I was like, all right, fuck, I've got to try something new. So, um, 
I went in a stage magazine. There's a thing if you if you're an entertainer or if you're a um, if you're a comedian or actually mainly for actors. So if you're actors, it's got auditions and everything like that in it. Um, and I was looking in the back of there, and um, I saw. There was auditions for this thing called One Stop Entertainment. And it was like, do you want to be an entertainer? Do you want to be on stage? Do you know where to start? No. Here's your chance. Auditions being held at so-and-so and so-and-so. Just show up and show us your talent. And I was like, well, I don't know what my fucking talent is. Really, I want to be a comedian. But how do you, what do you do? Show up and tell some jokes or, or what? So I thought, fuck it. Let's do it. Went to the audition. There was loads of people there. Met some nutters there. I met a lifelong friend there, a guy called Stephen Pierce. Um, we both had our kids, both our kids at the same time. Uh, he's bald now, but we went on to do. I'll tell you the story. I'll tell you how he comes on my journey with me. It's brilliant. Um, went and done the audition, and it was just uh, mayhem. Really, they they organise a couple of game shows. They asked some of us to host the game shows. They done singing auditions, dancing auditions, acting auditions. And then afterwards, they told you what it was for. They was like, this is for a six-month contract in Ayanapa, working in the hotels, right? We are going to be the entertainment for all of the English, all-inclusive hotels in Ayanapa. So if we contact you, I think there was something like 150 people went for the auditions and there was something like 50 spots. And I was like, if we contact you, you need to be ready to leave in like four weeks' time. You have to get a load of different documents signed and bollocks like this. But you will be going away for six months to Ayanapa. So are you up for that? Um, the people that are, put their hands up. The people that ain't, fuck off. I was like, fucking, I'm living on my own. Fucking banging birds back here, right? Bare-backing birds. Anyway, mate, get me over to Cyprus, mate. Fucking iron up. Fuck off. Mate, my numbers. I mean, that's where a lot of the numbers, that's where I got a lot of the numbers up. A lot of the sweethearts rolled in from iron up. But you know what I mean? There was fucking, they were bringing coach. Anyway, I'm fast forwarding a bit, but they were bringing coach loads of the fuckers in. All inclusive. They were literally delivering me something like three, four hundred birds to me hotel every weekend. I was a man on stage. <laughs> How you doing? <laughs> Bareback. Anyway. So I was like, yeah, I'm in, whatever. I got a phone call a couple of weeks later. We want you to come and join the cast. Fucking amazing. First things first, like a three-week training course over in Ayanapa, which was one of the most fucking wickedest things I've ever done in my life. Went over to Ayanapa, and they had all different people from different areas, different people from different countries, because they had people, you know, some of the hotels had, like, um, fucking Swedish people and German people and everything like that. So there's a vast variety of sweethearts and geezers um, everywhere in this training course. And they... They taught us all the same shows. So we'd have like, so the schedule would be in a hotel. One night would be bingo. The other night would be like, who wants to be a millionaire? So they teach you how to do them games. And then one night there'd be like a musical show. So they'd have stuff like uh, Grease or Grease and fucking all the musicals. Do you know what I mean? In a show. So I'd be singing and dancing, costume changes and everything like that. Uh, and other nights it'd just be like different shit, you know? I can remember... I was fucking singing, what's his name, Ricky Martin, talk to me, tell me your name, um, loads of shit, Robbie Williams, I was singing, I was doing Robbie Williams and shit, I couldn't sing, but some of, and this one, I always used to do this one at the end of one of the shows, because you can do it if you just, if you play with your voice a little bit, look, just to hear that bit at the end makes you sound like a good singer. Listen. Breathe um, And there'd be girls at the front. Like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. 
<laughs> Fuck me. Right, so it's good times, man. Done a training course. I can remember there was one geezer in the training course. So me and my mate Steve both got the gig and we went out there. He was playing his guitar. He got the gig by doing Blues Brothers. So he used to do Blues Brothers on his guitar. Uh, he's this sort of little fat Welsh geezer with a bald head, but he's fucking a legend. Become, I took him on a long part of my journey. Well, we came on a long part of my journey with me. Uh, there was another guy out there that was from fucking... Sweden, I think, or um, no, he wasn't. He's from Amsterdam. Amsterdam. His name was Arnie, and he was fucking massive. But his name was actually Arnie as well, and he was he was a lot taller than me and slim. And he was a nutter. He used to wear clogs. He actually used to wear clogs, what well, wooden ones. So you do him walking down the street. Down the street, he was fucking tall. He used to wear like a luminous, like fucking happy hardcore shit, and he listened to that happy hardcore shit. And uh, whenever he could, whenever he got pissed, he'd always sing a song. I'll never forget it. He used to go, "There ain't no party like a pussy licking party. There ain't no party like a pussy licking party." And we all just used to start going, "There ain't no party like a pussy licking party." And then the girls would be like, "Oh my god, this is a real party because you fucking like that." So it was good fun. And um, yeah, man, started working in the hotels, and this is this is where sort of the magical part of my journey happened because um, some nights I had to just do like game shows, so it was just me on my own doing game shows. And um, when I was doing the game shows, I used to like crack jokes at the beginning, so I'd come on, I'd be like, "Oh, look, all the old ladies in tonight." Yeah, look at the four down the front. Looks like the Spice Girls, <laughs> the one in the middle. She's Sleepy Spice. She ain't gonna make the show. <laughs> Oh, you got lovely teeth, sweetheart. You got lovely teeth, yeah. They, they, they're, they're like the stars. They come out at night. <laughs> uh, look at the amount of walking sticks in the front row. <laughs> Looks like a game of hockey's going to kick off. Come on, come on. What's the cocktail of the day, eh? Night nurse. <laughs> One of the old men take Viagra. I ain't stop themselves rolling out of bed. Get up. <laughs> Any old girls want to fuck? Anyway, so um. So I started doing little bits of comedy like that at the beginning of my show. And I used to love it. I used to laugh. You know, dumb shit. Dumb, dumb shit. I'm like, stuff like this. I'm so nervous, man. You know, backstage I was doing that, 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 that stuff with needles to calm my nerves. What's it called? What's it called? And someone would go, acupuncture. I'd go, no, fucking heroin. Sorts me right out. So um, anyway, yeah. So I was learning um, to, to 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 do uh, comedy and audience interaction, and uh, I was having a great laugh with it. And uh, <laughs> and um, and then I thought to myself, right, five minutes, five minutes, five minutes turned to ten minutes, ten minutes turned to twenty minutes. And if I, I knew if I could get thirty minutes, then I could just bill it as a show. So um, I. You know, about three months into it, I'd managed to build up about 30, 35 minutes. And then that was it. I'm doing my first ever comedy show at the end. So the, the, the punters would come for, oh, the punters would come for a week or two weeks. So you get to know them with the pool games. You get to know them with all the, the one stop entertainment shows. You do your shows, you know, you're talk to me. Tell me your name. Who I could love. Who I hit. Get them all fucking proper going for it. And um, do the bingo and all that shit. And then towards the end of the holiday, once they love you, yeah, it's my big night tonight. It's my big stand-up comedy show. And then you'd 
go around and ask everyone to come and then get and then you turn up and there'd be like 30 40 people there and it was fucking amazing i was like wow you know everyone knew me in the hotel and it was my first sort of taste on a miniature level of um creating uh buzz around something having a few people there that want want you to succeed and watching you and then praising you after after you've done your show so that's when i had my first taste of the stand-up comedy drug and i was like i am hooked i am hooked and um it's a beautiful thing when you when you truly immerse yourself in uh an artistic form like comedy where it is all based down to uh preference you know what some people find stuff funny some people don't find it funny it's like art it's uh subjective it's like looking at painting i don't know i don't like that someone else does like it and uh you have to be really confident to put your art form in your style out there and be prepared that pe- some people don't like it and some people do and i think that the real the real difference between comedians that succeed in life and stand-up comedians that don't succeed in life uh, in their profession is that you've got to understand that a majority of people aren't going to like your comedy. You're not going to get your comedy right. I mean, I've been pissing people off and getting it wrong for near on fucking 25 years now, right? And um, the only difference between people that stick at it are people that keep plowing through the negative shit, the put-downs, the shit audiences, the no laughs, the bad gigs. If you just look at it in a certain way that, you know, you're learning your craft, you're continuing to learn your craft, and you don't take that shit too heavy on the heart, um, then you'll get through, and you never know when you're going to get your break. But my first break come um, after one of these shows that I was doing in the hotel, um, and, um, yeah, there was a guy that come up to me in the hotel, and he was like, so I uh, loved your show. I've been watching your entertainment all week. I think you're fantastic. I run um, I run entertainment for cruise ships and I'm just on holiday. I just happen to be in this hotel and uh, I can't help but say that you're up there with any of the entertainers that we've got on the ship and um, we're about to go on a on a, on on two back-to-back world cruises. So, um, you know, would you like to see the world? We're going to go around the world one way and then back around the world the other way. Uh, it's about four months each cruise. So you'll be away for eight months and you will see every part of the fucking world. You will get to see every part of the fucking world or near enough all of the world uh, in the next eight months. Right. And I was like, fucking hell, that's a madness. And we want you to we'd want you to host it and do your stand up comedy. I was like, yeah, man, I'm sold. I'm in. He was like, well, it's not as easy as that. You've got to come back and audition. We've we've got about 45 people coming for an audition for this one position, which is a host, a compare host. Um, uh, you know, it's called an assistant cruise director um, in professional terms. And it's basically someone that runs the entertainment on the ship, all the light entertainment. You have a little group of staff that uh, do like your um you know like a uh, shuffleboard and table tennis and that in a day and you run them but then in the evening you host the nighttime entertainment you host the um game shows and you have to have your own your own show to put on once a week and this was me man i, I had my own show by this point um but it was going to be a lot tougher because we were with the the, the 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 punters on the ship for a long time so i'd have to work really hard on changing the show and and coming up with more ideas and stuff like that the other problem that I had is one stop entertainment when we went over to Cyprus with them they they give they they do something with your contract they they keep twenty percent of your wage back every month to ensure that you stay till the end so I can't remember how much it was, but I can remember it was like two and a half grand or something that I would have lost if 
if I if I went back from the audition and the audition was next week and I still had like a month and a half left of my my contract um, and two and a half grand when you're a young kid is fucking loads of money and it was seemed like a fucking long shot man and I can remember I spoke to my mum on the phone and I said look this has happened and you know uh, I'm going to lose the two and a half grand I'm going to come back with nothing um, you know there's like 50 nearly 50 people going for the audition there's only one part and my mum's just like believes in this like magical spiritual shit and she was like this is meant to happen this is part of your story that's what she said to me man she was like this is part of your story this was meant to happen you were meant to be there you were meant to put your shows together he was meant to be staying in your hotel this is the next part of your story and uh, she said, oh, don't even think about it. Quit your fucking job right now. Get home and then go and do the fucking audition. And you know what? If it fails, it fails. But if it fucking happens, imagine how you're going to feel going around the world. And it's part of your story. I was like, fucking, she made it sound so magical. I was like, fuck it, let's do it. So I quit. I went back. I went and stayed with her for a couple of weeks. And then uh, I went up to the audition and I'd done the audition and I just had a good feeling, man. I just felt like I was naturally meant to be there. Um, I felt that I was naturally funnier and more energetic and just I felt like I was a fucking boy, you know what I mean? You know, there's always like a fucking cool kid in the class. I fucking knew that it was me, do you know what I mean? I had a great feeling about it. And uh, I walked out of it, fucking, I knew I had it. And then uh, I got a phone call, you got it. And I was like, fucking hell, man. Mum, this is magical, man. This is part of my journey. But I'm fucking skin. Can I borrow some money? So I got some money off me mum. Uh, I got myself a new wardrobe and then I fucking... Got the fucking bus down to Falmouth and uh, waited for the fucking ship to arrive. And wow, that was that was a magical time. W- walking up the walking up the 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 gangplank or gangway, whatever it's called, onto a ship and being like, I ain't never fucking seen, I ain't never seen a fucking ship like this. Like, let alone being on one. And yeah, and uh, so yeah, man, that's when I that's when I got onto the cruise ships and. Um, fucking hell that was a madness man that was a madness so got onto the cruise ships again same thing training rehearsing and uh the beautiful thing on this was it was like cyprus all over again there was fucking birds everywhere mate and i was a pro shagger back then do you know what i mean this is where i became fucking dapper last really because i was like here we go proper moist and um yeah, man. And it, but it was brilliant because this is on the cruise ships is where I learned real stagecraft. So listening to cues, knowing where to stand on the stage, you'd have like girls with feathers and it'd be like, I'd hold the mic and I'd, but I would always remember I'd start the show. It's showtime. And you'd have like, you know, fucking six, seven hundred people in the auditorium. The lights would come down. And tonight, your cabaret act is Ronnie Stewart. Let's go. And I'd walk out and the girls would be going like that with feathers in front of me. And I'd come out and I'd be introducing the act. I'd do some jokes. The act would come on. Uh, and it was great. But before I went on the ship, I said to my, my man, I said, look, listen, thanks for the part on the, uh, on the ship. Thank you. I've got another guy that would be great for my entertainment staff. And also he plays the guitar and also he's a sound technician. This guy's worth his weight in gold and he's a big boy. It was Steve that, um, that, uh, 
And I'll tell you why this was. I'll tell you why uh, I took Steve with me was because when I got the audition back in the day to go to Cyprus, I didn't have enough money to pay for the hotel because we had to pay for our hotel on the training course. I know it was weird when you looked at it, but we had to pay for something. There was some payment that we had to do to ensure that we'd go or something like that. It's not 200 quid. And I only met Steve at the audition and he fucking lent me the money, mate. I only met him once. So when I got this gig, after we'd done Cyprus together and we'd become pals, after I got this gig, I was like, mate, this is so good. I'm bringing him with me. So I managed him to get Steve on the ship. So that's it, man. Me and Steve were on, mate. Steve continued to work on the cruise ships with me. Me and Steve worked on the ships for about four years, uh, traveling around the world, doing stand-up comedy. He was doing his own shows and he was doing, you know, we were always working on the same contracts. And, um, oh, it was a brilliant time. I could tell you some fucking stories, man, from the ships. Maybe that's a different podcast because there's some fucking madness. But um, yeah, it's, some, it's a scary, scary place to work on the ships, especially when you're in storms because you can really feel that shit. It's mad. You get used to things moving and swaying uh, so much so that when you're on the ship for that long, when you get off and you walk, walk on normal land, um, you feel funny. You feel funny walking on land as opposed to, you know, your body feels funny that it's not moving. Um and yeah, um, you know, you have to go and do all fire training, learn how to put out fires and safety drills. There's a lot of safety. You have to pass those of tests for the safety drills and shit like that. You have to become qualified in first aid. I gave mouth to mouth to a guy on the ship. I was doing a show and a guy stood up and I thought he was standing up to heckle. This is a true story. And uh, he collapsed in front of us and died right in front of us. Well, he collapsed. He was having a heart attack. And then when he went, passed out, I was giving him mouth to mouth to resuscitate him. And we uh, we uh, we lost him, unfortunately. So the first man I ever kissed fucking died on me, man. There was like a Filipino mafia on the ship that were cool. They were nutters. Um, all the Filipino guys had like their own. They'd all be singing fucking karaoke um, downstairs, but I didn't know any of the words. It was all in English. But I knew the words. They knew how it sounded, but I didn't know the words. And um, so we go down to the crew bar and watch him singing karaoke, get absolutely smashed and laugh our tits off him. He's calling the um, Filipino mafia. They used to work, you know, behind the scenes, doing all the cleaning and everything like that. But they were fucking legends. But the geezers used to put ball bearings under their dick. So they cut little slits in their dicks and put ball bearings on it because they got such small penises that uh, in order to pleasure their women, they put ball bearings all down the side of it. And I used to fucking, you know, the older, the older one, the older man would go, hey, you want to see a proper ball bearing uh, penis? And he'd have like fucking 30 of them all fucking round his dick, like lines all round his dick. And the younger ones only have like eight or nine or something. It's like you get one every year or some bollocks like that. And when they're banging the birds and that, it make them spunk. And I used to fucking hang around with so many of these. Um, this is true, by the way. I'm not even fucking lying. Anyone that's worked on ships will tell you this. And I used to hang around with them so much that... Um, on like my third contract, I was like, okay, it's time for you to get to your first bull bearing. And I was like, nah, man, I can't because in the UK that just looks like a wart. You know, it's not, it's not like part of our, part of our thing. Plus we just get ribbed, Johnny's. And plus I'm all right, man. I'm fucking, I'm fucking about six inches deep on a brother, on a bird. So don't worry about that. Um, yeah, uh, it was tough. We used to have a, we used to have scraps. Uh, if you if you went off, I'm, I'm, we were at a different port every day. And if you went off and, and had trouble and you got arrested and the ship left, the ship would take your fucking passport and you'd be fucking left there. Or if you were lucky, it would off, offload it. But you'd be in trouble there in the nick and you'd be fucked. No money, nothing. So um, we used to be really tra- careful, but we did used to get in loads of scraps. But the shows was what it was all about for me, man. Like learning stagecraft. 
um, mic skills, skills on the mic, how to hold the mic, uh, how to engage large audiences. Um, and the whole time that I was on there, the whole time I was on there, it was family-friendly humour. So, yeah, so uh, I thought what would be funny, I've still got my old books from when I worked on the cruise ships. Here's my old book of all my comedy. Uh and I'm gonna, I got it out in front of me. I thought I'd give you an idea of how I used to do family-friendly comedy. So here's a section called Growing Up. So I always used to start with Growing Up. Look, for those of you that don't know me, my name's Daniel O'Reilly. That's just my stage name. My real name's Friday O'Reilly. Because when my mum told my dad that she was pregnant with me, my dad said, maybe we should call it a day. <laughs> I was born in Ireland at a very young age. <laughs> I was the youngest of 11 brothers and sisters. Well, I still am. There was 11 of us, and we were so poor that we only had one bed to sleep in, and there was eight bedwetters. I could swim by the time I was two. <laughs> My mum used to say to me, which end of the bed do you want to sleep in? I used to say the shallow end. We'd show up in the curtains in the morning. There'd be a rainbow over the end of the bed. Now, I know what you're thinking. Your mum and dad must be nymphomaniacs. Well, no. My mum was just hard of hearing. My dad would say, uh, do you want to get into bed and go to sleep, or what? And my mum would go, what? Anyway... <laughs> This is shit, but this is what cruise ship comedy was about. I had a hard childhood. I never, I could never understand adults. They teach you to walk and talk, and as soon as you do, they tell you to sit down and shut up. When I was a baby, my dad moved us from Ireland over to London looking for work, which was a bit silly, really, because he was a shepherd. <laughs> shit. Apparently, when I was uh, a kid, I was very curious and naughty. My mum told me in a supermarket once when I was four, I said to a woman, wow, you're fat. She said, no, darling, I have a baby growing in my tummy. And I said, well, what's growing in your ass then? <laughs> Around the same sort of time, I asked my mum and dad if I came on their honeymoon. My dad said, it's complicated. I said, why? He said, well, you came with me, but you went back with your mother. <laughs> when I was 13, it's the first time I ever went into a pub. Yeah, I walked to the bar, bar, barmaid, and I said, uh, can I have a pint of beer, please? She said, do you want to get me in trouble? I said, maybe later. Just a point for now, though. <laughs> Oh, I'll leave it out. I can remember my mum was a lollipop lady. By that, I mean she had a long, thin body and a big, round, sticky head. <laughs> I was an ugly baby, though, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, so ugly. My mum didn't like me much. Nah. When I was born, the doctor slapped my mum to stop her crying. My mum didn't like me very much. She wanted to get rid of me, you know. So she wrapped my she used to wrap my lunch in a roadmap. I was so ugly as a kid, right? Remember those sand pits? The little ones you'd have in your garden when you're playing it? Well, when I used to play in it, the cats would come and cover me up. I was so ugly, my mum used to breastfeed me through a straw. She had morning sickness after I was born. <laughs> she said to me, if a strange man ever comes up to you and says, if I give you sweets, will you get in my car? She said, go. But I actually, when I was, when I was a little bit older, when I started doing the blue stuff, I changed that gag a little bit more to, to this one. Tell me if you like this one. <clears throat> Tell me if you like this one. It's a bit naughty. So the other day, a geezer come up to me in his van and he said, yeah, if I give you one of these sweets, do you want to come in my van? I said, if you give me the old pack, I'll come in your mouth. (laughs) That was growing up. Let's see what else we got. Come on, I'm having fun. I'm having fun. Fuck it. Let's see what else we got. Uh, School. Here we go. School. This is my section on school. Let's have a look. My old cruise ship gags. I wouldn't say my school was rough, but we had our own coroner. (laughs) We used to write things like, what I'm going to do if I grow up. I was quite thick at school. Uh, at least I was ambidextrous. Yeah, I could write fuck all with both hands. And soon I learnt there was three types of people in this world. Those who can count and those who can't. Yeah, and I'm colourblind as well. Last week I got beaten grey and dark grey. 
Uh, my teacher was cross-eyed. Yeah, she couldn't control her pupils. That's an old one. I can remember the first time I got in trouble. The teacher said to me, I want some fresh air. So I shaved her fucking head. I was a teacher's pet, yeah. Kept me in a cage at the back. <laughs> fucking loving it, didn't I? Me and my sister were so poor when we was at school, right? We used to have to get our fucking um, school uniform from the army surplus. All the old army stuff. You know, I used to have to go to school as a Japanese sniper. I mean, fucking sister was an SS officer. Ah, uh, I found out I was dyslexic, you know, when I turned up at a toga party dressed as a goat. I'm going to do more. Fuck it, we're here. Let's do some more. I'm going to do some more. Yeah, this is a section I used to do on my granddad. Granddad section. Well, granddad's 92, never used glasses. Nah, just drank straight out of the bottle. Get up. He was telling us the other day he applied for his bus pass, but he didn't have any ID. So he opened his shirt and they saw his grey hairs on his chest. My grand said, you should have dropped your pants. You would have got disability allowance and all. <laughs> uh, he thought God was turning the light on for him at night when he used to go to the toilet. And yeah, my grandma goes, fuck, you ain't pissing in the fridge again, are you? <laughs> the other day he was sitting on the porch, yeah, with no fucking trousers on. I said, what's going on? He said, well, the other day I was stood out here with no shirt on and I got a stiff neck. This is your grandma's idea. <laughs> my grandma wanted him to fuck her. Um, <clears throat> he's great fun. We used to call him Spider-Man. Yeah, because he couldn't get out of the fucking bath on his own. <laughs> he was a bit crazy, my granddad. Yeah, he got fired for sleeping with two of his patients. <laughs> fucking good vet, though. Good vet. <laughs> I told him he should use Viagra. He said, can I get it over the counter? I said, yeah, if you use three or four of them. Get up! <sighs> he had a heart attack the other day because my grandma and granddad used to have sex on a Sunday to the sound of the church bells. Ding dong, ding dong. Ding dong. It was going all right until an ice cream van went past. <laughs> Smashed a granny out of it, didn't he? Had a heart attack. Fucking hell. He's not doing bad, you know. Still having sex at 72. Considering he lives at number 50. Get up! All old jokes, but we used to use them on the cruise ship. Uh, I told him he should take Viagra and Prozac, so if he doesn't get any of it, he ain't fucking bothered. He's a bit blind, yeah? So we got him a walking dog. You know, the blind dogs. Anyway, he went to the bank and I popped into the bakery. When I come back out, he was swinging his dog around and people were screaming. I said, what are you doing? He said, having a look around. <laughs> I met this German guy. I said, my granddad used to visit Germany every week a long time ago. He said, what was he? Some kind of traveling salesman? I said, no, he was some kind of Lancaster bomber pilot. You can't. Granddad was a nutter. He used to be able to bend an iron bar over his knob till he was about 82. But he gave it up because his wrist went. <laughs> Oh, he said to me once, having sex when you're in your 80s is like trying to play snooker with a piece of rope. <laughs> I said, I know what you mean. It's the same as me after I've had a packet of gear, granddad. <laughs> after I finished on the ships, I come back and I had a bit of money in my back pocket. Uh, and I, did, I, didn't, I, I, didn't, I didn't want to end up 40 years old on a cruise ship. I wanted bigger things for my comedy career. I wanted to be on TV. I wanted to do tours. I wanted to grow a fan base. And when I come back, I, 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 I went and started earning money as an estate agent again. And, um, but I was ambitious in that respect as well because two, three years after that, I was about 27, I think. I um, opened my own estate agency and then I got staff. 
you know, and I put all my money into that. And then that was around the same. The, I mean, at that time, I had another business that was called Brand Spanking Comedy. And what I was doing was I was running open mic nights. So I went around to all the bars and I said, do you want comedy nights in here? So I'd book comedians to the nights and I'd go from bar to bar to bar hosting the comedy nights and making money off the bar. Do you know what I mean? To put comedy nights in there as well as doing open mic nights to test my material in between while running the estate agents in the day, making a bit of dough. Um, and that's that's the moment. It was at that point where I was working my tits off on the stand-up comedy that I discovered Vine. And I realized that there was an opportunity for me to get all this comedy or, and all these jokes that I'd written, all of this stuff out of my mind um, and instantly out to people instead of having to, you know, go all the way down to a comedy club and it'd be a couple of shit people and, you know, four people, whatever. And it just gave me the opportunity to instantly get my art out which which was amazing but yeah just going back to them comedians that's why i used to get so frustrated when you know i thought i don't have to explain myself that i've i've probably i've probably not only endured more fucking stage time than majority of you guys i've done it in so many different calibers in front of so many different sizes audience in so many different parts of the world um with so many different rules and regulations no blue you know keep it calm um it really pissed me off that they said that I hadn't earned my stripes as a comedian and that I was, you know, just uh, a Vine star. Um, when I knew that, shit, man, I've been been in love with the games, in, lo- in love with the stand-up comedy game since since I was a kid. So, um, so yeah. So this year, um, my first show after my dad passed away was a beautiful thing. You know, having uh, last year, sorry, having the bottle to uh, put another show out there after getting all my tours cancelled and that. And I mean, I fucking sold out a lot of tours and I've done a lot of shows when I first blew up as Dapper Laughs. But um, my favourite one that I've ever done was the one at the Troxy, two 2,000 people there. Good vibes only. Sold it out real quick. It was a huge one. And, um, and yeah, man. So I don't know because I don't know when this podcast is going out because I recorded it quite early, but I'm just preparing to put my... Um, stand-up comedy shows on sale. This year, I've decided to do something completely different. This year, instead of having one massive show that I write up till and do like six months and then write it and do it, this year, I want to do more in like um, off-the-cuff, unscripted, audience-interactive, current material stuff. Um, so I've got my nightclub um, that we're rebranding at the moment and in about two weeks on the 1st of February I'm throwing my first show out there. Only 100 people, 120 people and some VIP tables and then we're throwing a launch party after for the club. So there's a lot of you that are on my social media. I'm going to drop this on my Instagram. It might even already be out because I don't know when I'm posting this podcast but when it, if it's out, go and have a look. The link will be in my bio or just message me or write a comment on one of my things. But don't miss it. I'm doing one a month and I'm calling it Chatting Bollocks Live uh, because I'm enjoying Chatting Bollocks. Listen, I love it. Thank you very much for tuning in. And there was some fucking mad stories there, man. Listen, do me a favor. Share share the link to this on social media if you've enjoyed it. Put a tweet out there. Let me know. I'll retweet your tweets or, or write a comment on something. Thank you for tuning in. That was my life up into dapper laughs of comedy. Hope it inspired you. If not, suck me fat one. Either way. It's Joe Bollocks. I love you. Let's go. <laughs> He's
got a podcast, old spice and miles and miles of pubic lice. STG, fridge, freeze, he's a proper naughty geese. Chatting bollocks, shit stains, moist stains and airy touching. Jimmy Savile track suits from a mush in shepherd's bush. Bush, 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 bush. He'll make you laugh, he'll make you wee. He'll shag your mum for no money. A maphrodite hat on the door. Don't cry, it's only a joke, you silly mush. <laughs> Don't stress, beat the meat. Moisture is on eat. Don't stress, beat the meat. Say, take a seat. Airy feet, not much air. Massive tits. Listening to Chatting Bollocks of Daniel O'Reilly. What a plonker he really is. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Hi there, I'm Kendra Adachi, and I host the Lazy Genius Podcast, a show that helps you be a genius about the things that matter and lazy about the things that don't. But here's the kicker. You get to decide what matters, not me. I'm not here to tell you what to do. I'm here to give you a new way to see. Episodes are around 20 minutes and are full of practical, helpful information, as well as a lot of permission slips to do what makes sense for you. New episodes drop every Monday and cover a broad range of topics from laundry and getting dinner on the table to finding work-life balance and organizing your inbox. So I invite you to give the Lazy Genius Podcast a listen. Together, let's stop doing it all for the sake of doing what matters. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com.